the finance role revolution will not be televised. Will not be televised. So welcome to the pod, Mark. Great to have you on board. Quick intro on Mark Neil. He is uh, currently working at A&E Networks UK and he's the VP for finance, legal and operations. So uh, not a small job, I would imagine. So Mark, you know, just as a sort of quick intro to yourself and your career so far, could you tell us uh, a little bit more about, you know, how you got to be uh, VP of three massive departments <laughs> within a media company? Thank you, Chris, and thank you for inviting me. So yes, it's uh, it's a long story as I get older and older, but I guess it, it started off slightly differently when I was still at school doing my O-levels, as they were back then. I wanted to be a computer programmer, and it was just when BBC Micro, Commodore 64, Spectra, ZX Spectra, yeah. and all of that was. So I guess every kid of that sort of age wanted to get into computers because people will be googling that now thinking, yeah what, what, was what, that? what is that yeah <laughs> no i had to remind myself as well but so i actually took an o level when it wasn't actually offered but you could do it yeah. during lunchtime and breaks and a few other people did it as well yeah it was brilliant that we could do that but the course itself the o level was quite boring to be honest and and the teaching wasn't really sort of where i thought it would be so in the end, I thought, I don't want to be a computer programmer. And it had really put me off of that. And I thought, what else do I like and what else do I like doing? And I liked economics and I was doing that at school. I liked maths. So put those two together and interested in industry and, and how businesses work. I do like to plan. And by the time I was about 15, 16, I decided I wanted to become an accountant. So, wow. Which is obviously every young boy's ambition at 15, I, I would imagine. So I single-mindedly sort of went down that path in terms of the O-levels that I took and the A-levels that I took, even the course that I took at university, which was accountancy, finance and economics. So everything that I geared myself up towards was to get the most exemptions when I then started my professional career and, and I chose chartered accountancy and I trained with Coopers and Libra and Deloitte as they were then and yeah. people will have to Google that one as well. Yeah. <laughs> And so I guess I was very fortunate there. Okay, it was a very bog standard audit background, but I very much focused on media companies towards the last couple of years that, that I was there. And it sort of got me interested in, you know, what is career after audit? Where was I going to go? Yeah. And I've always tended to work in companies that you have some sort of relationship with, you can talk about them down the pub or whatever. So yeah. media was an obvious choice. I was very lucky and I joined Sky after I left Coopers. And that was a, a great learning opportunity for me, a fantastic time there. More so because I knew I didn't really want to go into internal audit or yeah. be a financial accountant. I was more interested in the business side. Yeah. So it was more of an FP&A type role. Yeah. Little did I realize at the time, I sort of hit the jackpot working for a company like Sky in this business. Is, it was a fantastic sort of foundational view of the world and, and, and what I was going to learn. So how long ago was that? Because I, I imagine media back then was, yeah. was quite a, exciting. That was 95, 19. So I was there for four years, but it was an amazing time. And so I learned so much about because I was building business plans, essentially. I built the 10-year business plan for Sky. Wow. So, so 
it's like 13 years out of date. And that, that was but, that sort of at the start of their journey? It know, was. They, they were still analog. And I built the plan when we moved to digital and giving boxes away for free and all of that. So yeah. I was building those plans and working, yeah. yes, with my boss who headed up the uh, business development team, if you like, the company planning team, but also working with the TFO at the time, Nick Carrington. So that for me, as I was in my early 20s, to work with someone who was heading up a, a company like that was uh, quite an amazing experience and, and something that you sort of keep with you throughout. I guess from there, I sort of moved through a number of uh, media companies. By one of the big things for me, and I would say was a critical moment, was to work at News Corporation, but to work outside of the finance department. So it was very much on mergers and acquisitions, looking for opportunities around Europe and working with people who were just focused on that. So it wasn't a finance role. I did that for six years. And, and I think at the end of that time, I wasn't sure which way I was going to go. Should I go into a strategy role, an M&A type role, research type role? It, it could have been any path. But I did come back to finance and I moved to discovery. And the best choice I could have made. I think once you sort of have a foundation and, and you've got a professional qualification like accountancy, I think, you know, it does make you very mobile. It does make you very easy to move around into any industry, really, then. And, and it provides that background in a sort of way where you look at the world in general. So I did move back into to and, media finance. And the whole business. And obviously, you know, it afforded you an opportunity to sit down with the CEO, yeah. Sky, and, and yeah. then choose your career path yeah. thereafter. Absolutely. You know, and that doesn't happen easily no not at all not at all I, I look back and i've been very very lucky and, and i've made some good choices i'm pleased to say you never know what the alternative would have been but i think i've made some good choices and i've worked for some very large companies companies that are large maybe in the u.s but are, are smaller over here and then i guess one of the big changes that i made after working at uh, discovery was to go to blackberry research in motion as, as they were called at that time they were just growing and growing and growing exponentially. And the time there was amazing. And I love that industry as well. It would be a tough one to choose between that sort of Delco technology and, and, yeah. and media, actually. Media is where I spent most of my time. But well, it only amazing. that sort of Sky is still here. Sky is still here. <laughs> so Very you, much might, so. you might have a preference. Yes, in, yes. In they own half of us, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we're a JV between uh, Sky and a and &E. Yeah, so sky here. Yeah. Well, you get another example. A small world. Yeah, well, goes around, comes around, back full circle. Yeah. I imagine BlackBerry and RIM, you know, again, huge learning experience, even though it was a case of sort of turning the lights off uh, when you left. Yeah. Luckily, I left as it was just going over the crest of the hill again, because you could almost see it coming. But yeah, very, very different industry to media in terms of supply planning. You know, you, you are selling you know, physical devices. And so you have to work out how many of these things you have to build so you can then sell them before you sell them. So SNOP planning was something I'd never done before in my life, but was obviously a very big part of that. And then the sort of margins you make on each of those units and then the information that you get from those units, because every one of those connected back to the BlackBerry base. Yeah. So we knew where they were, we knew when they were on, when they were off. You know, not that we were spying on people, but <laughs> as in the device, whether it was actually turned yeah. on to a BlackBerry server, we knew that. And so taking that information, collating that information, not just financial, yeah. actually understanding, you know, how many units were sold, where and when. 
And that was kind of the precursor to, you know, the app's sense of data nowadays. Absolutely. Right? You know, yeah, it was absolutely. used for legitimate reasons. Yep. And, yes. Yeah. You know, maybe people were sort of less familiar, less comfortable with that use mm. at the time. Mm. But now it's I, a no-brainer. People are just can, used to it. Yeah. You know, no, it was, at, it was at the very, very beginning. I think iPhone had only come out sort of a year or two before BlackBerry started to move towards consumers after being a very business-focused product and a very successful business-focused product. And they started to create cheaper Blackberries that, that people could get into. And then Blackberry Messenger, BBM, was like mm-hmm. the first real, you know, without texting, so it was free to send messages to every other yeah. Blackberry user. And it was groundbreaking, really, when yeah. you see WhatsApp and everything else that's come after. Where did it go so wrong? But where did it go so wrong? Well, I, I, I have my own views. No, I, I, you know, I remember those days. I was a big fan as well. You know, it was the sort of whole QWERTY keyboard, which Absolutely. was familiar. People incre- still love that as well. Incredibly really. robust. Yeah. You, know, you drop a sort of glass screen phone nowadays yeah. and, uh, you know, you're in for another yeah. hundred quid. So bringing it sort of forward to today, you know, you've got this sort of finance legal operations role. Mm-hmm. And I can see how you sort of built that experience to where you are today. Mm-hmm. But do you think there was a, a particularly critical moment on that journey where you thought, this is absolutely the plan. This is the right direction. You know, it, it sounds like it might have been a secondary school, which is very early <laughs> on. But, you know, maybe even with that plan, was there a moment where you got that sort of affirmation to say, yes, this is it. This is it. Yeah, I think so. I think it's when I came back into media. So I, I left BlackBerry and I went to Thomson Reuters to work in sort of the intellectual property side of things, which was, again, very interesting, but very different to anything I'd done before. When I then got my role at Scripps before this role here, and it was working in a, a much smaller part of the business. So Scripps in the US was very large, is very large, yeah. you know, part of Discovery now. The UK business was actually very small. They just bought Travel Channel and they were bringing it all together. So it almost felt as if you were working as part of a very small business. And so therefore, the decisions you made that almost you were making those decisions directly rather than part of a much bigger business where you had to go back to base in the US or Canada or wherever it may be. And they were very good at allowing us to be very autonomous. And I would say here at A&E, because we are a 50-50 JV, Again, you know, the shareholders let us make decisions. They let us grow the business in the appropriate way. Yes, you need approval, but, you know, they are very open to suggestions and, and where we want to go. And in a very tough marketplace, the media business, linear TV is in a very tough place at the moment. But, you know, it's up to us to see where that market is going and to see where we, we make our next buck, really. So. Great. Well, thanks for the intro. You know, you seem like a very open person and you're in media as well. So what we do at this stage, we do sort of a high five section, as I call it. So it's really just to sort of dig beneath the work mask that might be there. Just a couple of minutes, but it's it's nice to sort of flush these things out. So which one are you more? Beach or city? City. Why would you say that? I don't like the sand. <laughs> it's annoying. <laughs> Pebble isn't much fun. I like the scenery that you get at the beach and looking out at the ocean, but I don't like sitting on beaches. I'd rather see things. I like doing things on holiday. Okay. Beer or wine? Beer. Okay. <laughs> Song of your life. <laughs> song of my life. So it's, I guess uh, it's a favourite song, and, and having two children now, it, the title has uh, come into its own. It's actually Enjoy the Silence by Depeche Mode. 
Oh, very okay. good. And yeah, with two yeah. boys of a uh, yeah, eleven and eight, they uh, yeah, enjoying the silence. So it's it's irony there. Yeah, slight <laughs> irony behind that. But yes, it's always been a favourite song of mine. But it's coming to its own. I, I approve. I'm a big Smash Bros fan. Your perfect day in three words. Uh, three words. Budget is approved. Right. <laughs> perfect year. That is a perfect year, yeah. There's always work to do after that, but uh, when, when you get that approval and you've worked on it for so long, it does feel as if a weight's been lifted from your shoulders. like it. And the last one, introvert or extrovert? I would say introvert, but I would look at myself over my career and I would say I was very sort of shy. So all the things you think about being introvert, very shy at first and didn't come out of my shell. Obviously, as you go through life, you become more experienced, that changes. But I often see it as the, the sort of Myers-Briggs introvert, extrovert piece where it's just where you get your energy from. And I do like to think about things and I do like to sort of uh, mull things over. And, and it's not a that big sort of brainstorming 10 people in a room and suddenly you get energy from there. That's not really me. But uh, but you have to work within that environment because you're working within teams. So, But I would say classical sense, uh, I'm an introvert. Lovely. Well, thanks for letting us dig behind the mask. <laughs> so I'm always on the search for innovators within the world of accounting and finance operations, shared services. And I have stumbled across an amazing company that's doing some great work in the Nordics. In fact, they're one of the biggest providers of this solution in the Nordics, and they're looking to expand their reach into Europe. The company's called Quivalia. They are sponsoring this podcast, and they're co-authoring a few articles with me at the moment. I truly believe that they are walking the talk. You know, they've been 10 years experts in sort of transactional analysis on the AP side, stopping leakages in capital around sort of mismanaged VAT, overpayments, double payments and things like that. The sort of basic stuff that's been talked about for a long time. But they've now moved up the value chain. Their leadership team there is really trying to push the boundaries into next generation finance. A couple of examples of that are that they are providing an offering for free, which is brilliant. SMEs, small businesses, small medium-sized businesses can have a free e-invoicing software. But at the same time, they've developed a protocol, a format for the exchange of invoices to basically eliminate that transactional process for invoicing, which would take conversations around automation in this area up another level, you know, automation, accounts payable automation on steroids, you could call it. And they're just automating everything in that process, whether it's validation or bounce backs or, you know, supply monitoring, whatever it is, they are looking to speed up that process to the point where you could almost say you've eliminated that process. There's a few people talking about that in the blockchain space, but I uh, you know, I'm not sold on that. And I think Cavalia are thought leaders in this area and they're definitely walking the talk. So if you're interested in AP and trying to improve the value that you provide in that area, then check out Cavalia. Their website is qvalia.com. And like I say, they are one of the biggest players in the Nordics, uh, helping customers all over Europe and they're looking to expand their reach. So they're there for you. And back to the pod. So looking at the day to day and, you know, trying to sort of explain to listeners, you know, what your day looks like, what 
happens here on a day-to-day basis that you know is a good day for you and what gets in the way because a lot of conversation that we have on the pod is around sort of change and transformation Mm. so you know what goes well and what would you like to sort of see changing so i've got three areas that i look after being the finance team itself the operations team which is a big team here so the operations team at at a a TV company like this, they're the ones that basically get the TV shows on air. So you can have all the creative and all the wonderful programs behind it. But if there isn't actually a signal that allows you to watch it, then there's a problem. And then those guys are absolutely brilliant at that. They also organize all the languaging. So if you're in Czech Republic or in Sweden or whatever, they make sure the right languages are played in the right way for those things as well. So they've got a massive job. And I'm very lucky to have a, a great team there and led by Matt Westrup, who's who's fantastic, who I work with at Scripps as well. Uh, and then the legal team as well. Smaller team, but again, you know, they're the guys that uh, make sure that uh, everything we do is done correctly, and they're essentially protecting all of our assets. So, you know, I, and I've always worked very closely with legal teams, and, and Josh Kay here is great, and uh, it's great working with him. So I do have a, a sort of mixed day in terms of, you know, most of my time is working with the finance team because I've got two great leaders in the other two areas, but help out wherever I can. In terms of finance, it is, you know, often the usual stuff in terms of you know, approving payments, approving payroll, yeah. looking at month end, you know, yeah. budgets, forecasts, etc. But I guess the thing that really, you know, focuses me and, and I've got a sort of more of an FP&A bent that that's the route that I've come down, really. It is problem solving. It is looking at uh, situations that maybe you've never come across and trying to take your experience and try and take sort of uh, knowledge that you have and fix those problems. So, you know, it's um, very much involved in the senior leadership team here. And then, you know, as a collective, there are six of us on that group and we all have different skill sets. And it's a great group to work together because we're all coming at it from slightly different ways and then sort of getting together and agreeing at the end of it. The things that sort of, I guess, slow me down a little bit, or what I call curveballs, it's generally probably my main bugbear is when you get information requests, and it's not just A&E, wherever I've been, that you don't understand the context and someone asks a question. And you can spend a lot of time, or your teams can spend a lot of time trying to research and get the right answers when the question they asked in the first place wasn't really what they wanted to understand and yeah. know. So. The thing, and it's been me many a time, is to try and understand the context of someone's question. If they give you the context, then you can provide the answer much quicker. Yeah. You often know it straight away, but sometimes yeah. they just ask a question in complete isolation. Yeah. And that can be quite frustrating. That actually plays into a lot of conversation you hear on the pod at the moment about sort of strategic business partnering mm. and, and, you know, getting finance, getting <clears throat> a seat at the table. Absolutely. And, you know, being able to... <laughs> It's almost like the future potentially is us being these uber communicator, uber yeah. sort of influencer. And you kind of hit on something there yeah. where if you're not sort of joined at the hip with the business mm-hmm. and your role is to provide insight, mm-hmm. then it could actually be quite kind of way off because you don't have absolutely. that context. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And it's interesting you say that a seat at the table because I have worked in companies in the past where finance didn't really have a seat at the table. I think sometimes Finance can be seen in a very sort of old school way. You know, you, you yeah. pay the bills, you collect some money, you do some journal entries, you've got debits and credits, and sometimes be seen as almost a policing role. They're there to say no. To me, that is completely alien. And, and everything I've done throughout my career, wherever I've been, it is to try and 
change that view if that view is there or if it isn't there then obviously try to you know take it to the next level but to me finance is a value adding function i always think that finance we're very very lucky because it's it's the fulcrum of of any business i think you know any decision that is made anything that is done within a business has a financial consequence and so i think if a business is going to succeed then you need a strong finance function that provides you with the information that you need so you can make these decisions. But also it doesn't just provide someone else information to go off and make a decision. is really intrinsic to that decision as well because yeah. you can bring the data, interpret it, you can talk about it and you have discussions coming from the, the different points of view, as I said, and then you get reach the right conclusion based on yeah. that. So to me, that is what finance and the finance team is. Yeah. You know, they have all of this information at their fingertips. It's bringing it out in the right way and sitting down, working with the rest of the business to make that decision. It sounds like, you know, you have that strong kind of value creator point of view, probably because of how your career has gone, you know, mm. being sort of very much thrown in the deep end on, on planning with senior, senior yes. stakeholders, yes. you know, really needing to sort of prove your worth. What I see now is there's another reason for doing that, and it's, because the traditional controller role within mm. finance yeah. is being automated, mm. you know, whether people sort of see it happening now or at some point in the future, you know, that is definitely the road that we're on. And I think if you're already ahead of the game, then fantastic. Mm. But do you agree with that point of view? Or do you think we should always have been aspiring to that so no one should really be bothered about this sort of automation risk? I think it's one, and, and don't tell my controller that that's coming. Yeah. But um, I think it should be seen as an aid as well. I think, you know, there is still a role for humans and experience and sort of interpreting data, which, mm. you know, I think we've got a way to go before AI can start to interpret data in a way that all of your experience can tell you. Because sometimes it's gut feel, you know, and AI don't have a gut. So, I think the controlling team, yes, without a shadow of a doubt, there is a whole bunch of stuff that could be done that doesn't really add value, as I said before, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and my focus would be on adding value, that if you could automate it somehow, if it could be done more easily with artificial intelligence or machine learning or whatever it may be, then what it does is free up individuals and you know experienced individuals to do other things and those other things should be value adding they should yeah. all point in the same direction that we are trying to make decisions as a company that makes us more profitable so whether you know a traditional controller role disappeared maybe a traditional one does but there is always a role there for you know interpretation understanding and helping shape the future and in a way shape what the ai is actually doing so I, I think, you know, yes, there are some probably areas that are not the most interesting and that can probably be done there. But uh, I don't know. I think there's still a, still a human role in there somewhere. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, most points of view on that at the moment are that there'll be a mixed team of humans and robots. But, you know, we're talking about software running <clears throat> things on our behalf. Yeah. But you touched on something there that I just wanted to return to, which I think was the business's point of view. Mm -hmm. Someone's asking you to create value here. You know, mm -hmm. you're not just sort of providing it, as you say, without context. So from your point of view, do you feel that the business values that controller role and or would be quite happy for it to sort of go and see people switching to this? you know, decision support, value creator role? Yeah, I think so. Because, I mean, we have heavily invested in software. 
throughout the business, whether that's on, on the programming and scheduling side, we are changing ourselves, our ERM, and that's a lot of fun. But also, you know, further software, how we build our clients, how we keep our databases and, and, and all of that sort of thing. Now, all of that is done with the point of view that, one, you get better information, you probably get it quicker, but it, it should be more efficient as well. And so I think the business, all they care about at the end of the day is they are getting accurate information timely. Yeah. And to be honest, that's what I care about as well, because the quicker we can provide strong information, correct information, then we're more ahead of the game. So we strive to, you know, close month in quicker and do all of these things. And with the changes that we're making, we should be able to do that. And once you're through the, the slight teething problems <laughs> with it. But I think, you know, we've made large investments. That's the thing in technology. And we've done that for a reason. And it, it should be to help focus the people that are here on the work that needs to be done rather than some of the more tedious stuff behind the scenes. It just yeah. is time consuming and doesn't really add a lot of value. Again, it's not just about sort of automation for the sake of automation. You know, people, I think, are asking to use this technology to improve their roles. You know, at the end of the day, people would like to have more interesting roles, be working on a more interesting project. You know, you're going to get more out of your role if it's providing a, some insight in a higher value area. So there is a strong case for it. You know, I think a lot of people talk about this in terms of labor arbitrage and, and cost savings yeah. and stuff like yeah. that. And I haven't really seen that bear out yet, but I think we can all sort of accept the case if we have a professional person within finance and they've got their head in spreadsheets for mm. three weeks mm. and we can reduce that to one week and providing valuable insight. That's mm. a much better use of yeah, that time. Absolutely. Completely agree. So I just wanted to return to, I think it was your script days you're talking about. Mm. I'm curious about the comment that you <clears throat> made there. So this was a small business culture within a bigger business mm. and a lot of the younger accountants that i see coming through at the moment are looking for this more dynamic culture this more innovative place to work and i kind of align that to a startup mentality mm. and i was wondering whether you felt that that script kind of had that culture yeah. and how you would bring that into a larger company, potentially yeah. like Sky. That you no, you're absolutely right in that it was. Just to put it into context, Scripps International globally had sort of, I think it was over $3 billion of revenue. Right. The entity that, so the EMEA business that I was working at had less than $100 million of revenue. So the context of where we were compared to, to the larger Scripps was actually relatively small. But domestically they knew you know growth was relatively limited they had some very good channels that were doing very very well but the growth opportunity just wasn't there domestically in the u.s whereas internationally and it wasn't just emir it was asia it was latin etc that's where the growth was and so that's what we were focused on we're a relatively small team i think it was 120 people there it was very dynamic and it was a real can-do attitude and it was because we were not really big enough to really move the dial off the top that that's why they did let us sort of get on with stuff and i still think it was one of the biggest growths of my career and it was only the role before here so so mm. it's still later on in my career but it's probably where i learned the most in that those four years that i was there it's stuff that i'd never done before and i think that was the same throughout the business and and in my finance team there as well 
where you were doing things because you didn't have armies of people. You didn't have lots of people doing all these things. So you could roll your sleeves in and get involved in it and face problems that you'd never faced before. Were you being sort of asked to be involved or was it just the next priority, the next sort of important thing to be working on? Because yeah. just that in larger companies yeah. and in finance generally, we have this sort of quite narrow but deep role. Yeah, yeah. In startup, you have to do everything. Exactly. And, and even in maybe that wasn't a startup scenario. But, but it felt like it. It did feel like And we would often comment that it did feel like it was almost like a startup because of what we were doing and how we were working and because of the numbers. And, and, and I, sorry to interrupt, but I think you're absolutely right in terms of the relationship that I had with the CEO there was very much a sort of, you know, everything we were doing, we were doing as a team, not just me and him, but the, 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 again, the senior leadership team. Yeah. And uh you got involved in everything. And that was a great thing, you know, and I would work, you know, the litigation, I would get involved in that. You know, we had trouble in, in certain um, territories and we had to come up with a, an innovative way of, of dealing with it and doing it all over again, which was a difficult problem. Yeah. And not everyone wanted to, to get involved with it. But yeah. a few of us sat down and we yeah. sorted it, basically. And, but and that was great. How did you actually make that happen? You know, I'm conscious that, that people will feel that they've got fairly sort of rigid roles and responsibilities. So were you kind of taking on the weekend project or working, you know, longer hours? How, how did yeah, it, or, or was that sort of base role just not as important in that? No, I, I, so for me, I think building a team that you can rely upon 100% who have a very similar attitude to you is absolutely key. I think finance can fail if you don't have the right people doing the right jobs within the team. So to me, it's always been important to make sure that throughout the entire structure that you have, whether it's tiny or whether it's massive, you've got to get the right people. Because as I've moved towards the sort of more leadership roles as well, you can only spread yourself so thinly. And as you do that, you do tend to work with people more as in your team and, and managing what's going on there. But if you've got the right people behind you, it's amazing how much you can delegate down and rely on trust on those people versus other priorities that spring up. I think you, you have to be agile. If there's one word that I would say sort of encapsulates what I think financing and a finance leader is adaptability. You have to be able to adapt. And that is when things are thrown at you and how you deal with it. It's when you are doing your day-to-day -day stuff as well and how you're managing those priorities, usually with less resources than, than you would hope, but it's the same everywhere now. And also with colleagues. And I found that one, you know, slightly more interesting because the other ones are a bit more obvious. But even when you're working with colleagues, you do have to be adaptable yourself. That, yeah. You know, and I think it's important for people outside of finance to believe that the finance guy yeah. listens to what they're saying and understands what they're saying. So whether it is operations, legal, commercial, programming, creative, very different yeah. things to finance. But I should be able to have a conversation with any of those guys and understand what they're on about, yeah. even if it's at a base level, but not always bring it back to finance, but to actually understand their needs, their concerns, where they're trying to come from, so that when I'm helping make decisions, making decisions myself around budgets and where it's all going, I understand where they're coming from. And I think you do get a lot back from the business as a whole if they believe that you're not just the finance guy. Yeah. Yeah. And then you've just got a spreadsheet in front of you and you've looked at it and the bottom right hand corner said is red. So it's a no. Yeah. And I think if you can have those conversations with people, you are engaged a lot more. You get the seat at the table and it's genuine. It has to be genuine. You have to have a genuine interest in the business 
to do that. I mean, I'm lucky because I've been around media for a long time. When I came back into it, it was like coming home because of the conversations. They don't change, you know, and the issues and the problems are still the same and the opportunities are different each time, you know, as time has gone on. But that's what keeps it dynamic and exciting. But I really, truly believe as a finance person, you've got to get out of your finance mindset you know this is home this is safe yeah. and you've got to start to understand what the business wants because otherwise you'll have very difficult conversations yeah yeah i completely agree and i think that's again that's a sort of rising theme that you know people have to have the right attitude and it's about getting up desk and it's, it's not just the case of asking questions and, and that sort of gatekeeper role mm. it's, yeah. it's actually listening maybe yes. sort of advanced listening and and checking and being that right hand man not just as you say, this sort of black and white approach towards the result on the page. It's going much further than that. I think one of the big things about that and the difference, and you can test that difference, mm. is because do you believe that your colleagues around the business, do they try to avoid you <laughs> and not want to come and, oh, I have to ask him about this? <laughs> or do they seek you out? Do they want your advice? Do they want your input? That is the big difference. You know, if, if you've got the one saying, Oh, I've got to tell finance about this. I'm dreading it. Yeah. Versus I'd really like to get the input of these guys and whether we can do something different. For me, that's the acid test. That really is the, the sort of test between are you really getting somewhere with this and are you on board and are you part of the team or are you just tucked away in a corner and they really don't want to talk to you? That's a good measure. I yeah. think we should, we should all think yeah. about that one. An honest assessment might be difficult. <laughs> It's been really informative. I appreciate all of your uh, your insight there. You know, just to try and sort of summarise this and, and bring this to a close, you know, how, how would you, you know, how can sort of finance people and young accountants in particular accelerate their career path, given everything that you've said? Because it sounds like you've sort of had a hard-fought road, which has led to you having, you know, a, an amazing CV and very solid opinions now. But, but you know, people coming into the career now are looking to make change much faster. Um, and some people are challenging that, saying, no, there's a career ladder and you have to go through it. Um, and some people are deciding to sort of leave finance as a result of that. Mm. So, you know, how, how can young accountants accelerate their <clears throat> career path? It is interesting. And times have changed a lot, obviously, since, since I was going through it. I still believe that you have to put the time in. You know, and that there are no shortcuts. And I think, you know, and I've employed people, you know, what you call millennials or, or iGen and, and all of these types of people that are coming through now. And there is a the difference. I mean, I don't feel really you manage those people as a set any differently because I think you have to manage individually to whoever you're working with. So mm. I don't quite buy into, oh, they're millennials, therefore you have to manage them this way. There is a definite, and I've seen it, more impatience mm. to move forward. And if you come into a business and it doesn't quite fulfill your ambitions and your goals and maybe what they sold it to you as, I think people are a lot quicker to move on. I think there are a lot more opportunities now to mm. do that, especially at that sort of level. And good luck to them. And in a way, you know, they will land somewhere eventually where it fits everything they want to do. That's not bad because then someone's left that job and they may end up with you. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's slightly circular and you do want the right people who are pulling all in the same direction. You know, yes, you want to be challenged and people do challenge me all the time. And, but you have to embrace that. I think that's important to do that. 
I think to me, and, and I'm a firm believer that if you do put that time in and you do put that effort in, that you will be rewarded. You know, it doesn't always happen. And someone once said to me, if you believe cream rises to the top all the time, <laughs> you're sadly mistaken. You know, yeah. it, it doesn't always work that way. But I do believe if you are learning, you're good at what you do, you put the effort in, good things will happen to you. And I think it's all about experience. Yeah, yeah? You, you have to build up experience. You can't go from being 21 or 25 knowing everything. If you make the right choices in terms of where you work and what you do and how you do it, I'm still a, believe, a great believer in if you want to make a good CFO, that you do spend some time outside of finance as well. I think that is really important. I think your mindset can be very narrow if you just spend your whole life in finance and just do it the finance way, which goes back to what I said earlier about when I spent six years outside of that at New School, it was actually BBC as well, and six months there where I wasn't in finance. And I think it, it is important to look at things in a different way because then that does aid you in understanding what other people think and how they're approaching things and how they approach finance. And I think if you can do all of that, then, you know, that that will really reward you. But I don't think there is a fast track that you can go from A to B, you know, missing yeah. out everything in between. But it, it's worth it, though. I think it's worth it. Completely agree. I completely, and I think sometimes there's a misconception that time to competency is the same as time to value. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. it's like, I'm good at this now. So where's my promotion? Or I'm good at this now. Can I move on to something else? And it's like, well, there is a sort of, um, there's something implicit with learning business and developing judgment and having that business acumen, which is, okay, I feel good at this now. Mm maybe enough to pass the driving test mm. but actually when are you going to do this without thinking and be able to take on all those other wonderful things that you want to do as well mm. so it's a tricky message i think for everyone to to manage you know including the igens and the millennials because as you say there are more opportunities out there and yeah. um, there's lots of interesting work happening in these spaces and uh, they are potentially moving so one last question, we definitely have had plenty to talk about, you know, where do you see the sort of CFO role going in, in 10, 20 years? You know, do you think it will be exactly the same as it is now? Or, you know, there's even been talk about chief value officer rather than chief finance officer. You're, you know, bringing in legal and operations, yeah, you yeah, know, so yeah. but where does it go? I still believe that CFOs have so much to offer. You know, quite often you do see CFOs becoming CEOs. And I think, you know, as long as they can open their mind to the way that the business works. And, you know, I think it's a it's a great foundation for a, a true leader of a company. I think um, you've always got to understand what you don't know. And I think most importantly, that that is what you have to sort of understand, you know, where are your blind spots? Where isn't your forte, if you like? And you have the right people around you to, to lead and advise and to work with you. Everything that we do is, is, is a team sport, really, in, in terms of business. I think all the best businesses work better if it's more of a collective. You do need a leader to, to make those ultimate decisions. So I don't, I don't see a CFO role disappearing. I think, you know, will things change over time in terms of how a finance team is set up? Yeah, probably. You know, as you say, with automation and, and AI and how that can be developed and take some of the more monotonous side away from it and focus the finance team on the value added side. As you said, like me, you know, I, I've got operations and, and legal that I'm responsible for as well. Again, it's like CFO becoming CEO when you suddenly got everything. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think there are any limits unless 
you know, you limit yourself in a way where you say, no, I'm just a finance guy and this is what I do. But I think it, it's that is very narrow to your point earlier. And, and it should be broader, deeper, wider. You know, there should be no bounds to what a finance person should do. And therefore, I think, you know, even 10 years time, 20 years time, there is still a role for an experienced individual that understands what the decisions being made, mm. what's the impact on the business by those decisions. Mm. Because at the end of the day, you've still got a PL and a balance sheet and a cash flow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even if they're it. automated, there's still decisions that impact that and influence it. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. That is a very optimistic note to end on. So I Good. appreciate I appreciate <laughs> that. And all the best with your future endeavours. And I'm sure your time here and your next role will be a very good step for you. So thanks very much. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Chris.